Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So let's look at uh, Acts 16. We're going to look at 16 to 40. And we've been prayerfully looking at Acts for some time and learning that the book is about the ongoing ministry of Jesus through his church. And we're also seeing that Acts lays out the kind of church that God was establishing in the first century and then the kind of church he wants to continue to expand among the nations. That's us. And that's the church in Africa and Asia and Latin America. And this is our family history, our family story, isn't it? We were having a conversation with some staff leaders this week and we were talking about wanting to be a biblical New Testament church and how helpful the book of Acts is. And just think about some of the things that we're learning about being the people of God, being a people of community, worship, prayer, fasting, gospel proclamation, healing of the sick, casting out demons, making and caring for disciples, building teams, working through conflict well, generous giving, care for the poor and the widows, expecting miracles, and serving on mission with Jesus. That's what we've seen so far. It is a rich and amazing inspired book, and we want to continue to learn from it, and we want to continue to freely receive from Jesus so that we can give it all away, and then he wants to give us more. Amen? So last Sunday, we looked at the first part of this, Acts 16, 1 to 15, and we saw that it was the beginning of the mission to Europe, and we saw Paul and Silas encounter this young leader named Timothy who had become a Christian about four or five years previously, and then we saw a woman of influence, Lydia, get saved and open up her home. And today what we're going to see is this mission to Europe continuing in the city of Philippi, which is located in Macedonia. And we're going to see at this place the Lord is establishing a kingdom beachhead. And we're going to see some stories that come out of this region, Philippi. We're going to see the deliverance of a fortune teller and the salvation of a jailer and his family. And we're going to see the church expanding and growing. As I was looking at this this week, it almost sounded like a joke. You know, did you hear the one about the business lady, the fortune teller, and the jailer all sat down at a pub? And it really is like that, but it's even showing us a window into the early church that people from all different walks of life encounter Jesus, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and join the local church, and they become family. So it's very interesting to see. What we'll look at, uh, verses 16 through 18 of chapter 16 first, and again, we'll just take it piece by piece. And Lord, we thank you for your word, and every time we open it, we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to open our minds and our hearts 
Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God and transform us. Fill us with faith. We love you. We thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So in this mission in Philippi of deliverance and salvation, the first thing takes place in verses 16 through 18. One day as we, and this is Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they were going to the place of prayer, they met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, the rest of the team, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And so what we see here in this mission in Philippi is the team rolling up and the power of the Holy Spirit and sharing the gospel in this region. And they encounter this young servant girl, a slave girl who no longer owned herself, but had been sold into slavery. And what does the text say? She had a certain spirit. And the Greek, actually, is she had a python spirit. Isn't that weird? And this is basically based on Greek mythology. And so there's a long story about Apollos, the god Apollos, killing Python, a snake that guarded the temple at Delphi in central Greece, and thereby gained control of that particular place and oracle, which meant a place where prophecies were given. And this snake was the symbol of that particular temple there in Delphi. And it was believed that certain young women would go to the temple and get filled with the spirit of Python and become mediums through which the spirit of Python would speak and predict the future. And we know this is forbidden in scripture as far back as Deuteronomy 18, right? You are not to function as a medium or be involved in fortune telling. And here these early believers are encountering this young lady and she was following them around and yelling out. Look at what she yelled out here. Some truth here. These men are servants of the Most High God. She's using that Jewish name, El Elyon. And so she's acknowledging that the God they serve is the sovereign God of Israel. And she explains that the team is telling the people a way to be saved. I don't know what your translation says there. The New Revised Standard actually shows that there is no article before that. And so it's actually, she is saying these men are telling you a way of salvation. Isn't that interesting? So the first part is true. They're servants of the Most High God. The second part is not. And we remember this from the Gospels, right? You remember where Jesus would be coming into a new city and oftentimes no one would recognize who Jesus was. 
that he in fact was the Messiah anointed by the Holy Spirit except who? The demons. And the demons oftentimes would call out like they did in Luke 8, 28, and Jesus would tell them to be silent. And oftentimes he would tell them to be silent because there was a mixture of what they were saying and they would confuse people. And so we're seeing something similar here. This poor girl is doubly enslaved. She is owned physically by her masters and then the text shows us that she is also owned by a, an evil spirit that's inside of her. It's a rather human moment, isn't it, with Paul? In verse 18, he's annoyed. He's irritated. He's disturbed. He's probably put up with her for some time, and so he turns around and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out at that moment. We don't know what really disturbed or annoyed Paul. The verse doesn't tell us, but it could have been that he was annoyed that she was speaking part truth and part lie. Could have been that she was following this group around and there was some kind of connection that she was making between her own occultic practices and fortune telling and what they were doing. And Paul said, I've had enough. People need to know crystal clear that Jesus alone saves. He's the way to salvation. And he has authority over evil spirits like the one inhabiting this young lady. Now, the modern or postmodern person might read a text like this or hear someone talk about it and say, this is pre-modern. This is an outdated way of explaining things, right? Some of you may have a friend that would say something like that. Evil spirits do not exist in 2022. And then they might go on to explain a passage like this and say, this activity is probably explainable in terms of psychology or neurology or something. And I want us to be clear, evil spirits do exist. They do. They didn't go away. Even though we've had psychological revolutions and Freud and Jung and all the others, they cannot explain their existence away. As a matter of fact, they may be more uh, energized than ever right now. And so we believe here at All Saints, we read a text like this and we believe that it happened then and it continues to happen now. People get demons. Some of you have had demons. And the Lord set you free from them. I have. So that's for another day. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit more. But I just want us to see for a moment here that they do exist. And I remember as I was reading this passage this week, I was thinking about one of my first ministry trips to Singapore it's about 1992, 93, and we were in this large indoor soccer complex, and there were, I don't know, probably three or 4,000 Singaporeans there, and there was ministry happening at the front after some meetings, and I remember this young lady comes up and wants prayer, people start praying for her, and she drops to the ground on her belly and proceeds to move like a snake. And I remember thinking, I've never seen that before. 
never seen a human being move and slither literally like a snake and the Christians there, the Singaporean Christians prayed for her and drove an evil spirit out of her and she experienced freedom in Christ. And I can assure you that was not something neurological going on with that lady. It was a spirit in her that had tormented her and it may have affected her neurology but it couldn't be reduced and explained away like that. So that was in Singapore, but a couple of years ago, some of you may not have known this, but right here at this church, Al and Melissa King were meeting some people, uh, new people, and there was a young lady out by the front entrance there, and she had come to church for the first time, and Al King had this thought that he was picturing tarot cards out of nowhere. And so he was thinking, could this young woman be involved in the occult? And so they just introduced themselves, Alan and Melissa being friendly, and this young lady began to talk openly and shared her life story in a few minutes and had been deeply involved in the occult and reading tarot cards and involved in fortune telling and all kinds of things. And as she began to share, she began to manifest an evil spirit that was in her began to manifest. And the next thing Alan Melissa knew was she was down on the ground, writhing in front of them by the front door. Was anyone there to witness that? I don't know, maybe someone was. And they prayed for her. And she began to get some deliverance. And then Alan Melissa said, we think we're going to pass this situation off to someone else with more experience. And so she began to get inner healing and deliverance prayer, and that's wonderful, right? And then she ended up getting plugged in at the church, and she's now moved on to live with her family in another state, this young lady. But friends, this happens. It does happen. And even if you say, well, I've never seen it, why don't you pray and ask the Lord to make his word real to you in a way? That's a a risky prayer. Lord, I would like to see you set someone free from an evil spirit. He might just answer. You might find yourself in a situation because, friends, it happens, and it is the name of Jesus alone that sets people free. Medication is wonderful in certain situations, but not not this one. This young lady needed to be set free. Look at the next section here, 19 to 24. We'll read it, and then we'll talk about Paul and Silas being beaten and imprisoned. But when our Her owners, so the story continues here, and they saw that their hope of making money was gone because the demon had been driven out. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, the local leaders, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews. And they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
So we see here when this young lady's owners, slave owners, saw that their money flow had been influenced, they grabbed Paul and Silas, took them into the marketplace before the authorities, and they accused them of a couple of things. Look at what they accused them of. Really throwing the city into confusion and calling them Jews. So we already see some anti-Semitism here in verses 19 through 21, and they go on to say that they're trying to destabilize. They're kind of bringing revolution, and we don't want it. And so the crowd joined in, and we've seen how fickle the crowd is, haven't we? At different times, the crowd may be praising one minute and then ready to throw you in prison the next, and this is one of those moments So they have them stripped of their clothing and beaten with rods. And apparently there's some historical record that the police would actually walk around in the city and rather than carrying like a baton, a big nightstick or something, they would carry bundles of rods. And it had a deterring effect. They walked around with these rods as a warning to hooligans. And so these guys were accused of misbehavior and they were beaten publicly. I was thinking as I read this of the young man in 1994. Some of you may remember the young American that was in Singapore, and he was caned. He was beat with a rod publicly for vandalism in 1994. Do you remember that? So this is still done in some modern contexts. I don't endorse it, but it probably worked back then to keep people from misbehaving, but these guys weren't misbehaving. They were falsely accused and they were thrown into an innermost jail and had their feet placed in these wooden devices. I think I've got a picture up here so you can see what it was like. So here's Paul and Silas with their feet in there. And if you notice, there's different holes along the way and apparently depending on their behavior sometimes they would stretch your legs out and put your legs in wider holes there in position so you were in great torment and we're going to see how they responded to this in a moment but just so that we see a text like this in our modern context I just wonder if we might be prepared in the coming days for being accused of unlawful customs. Think about it. Sometimes these texts can be a challenge to bridge the then and the now, but they were being falsely accused, weren't they? They were being falsely accused of, first of all, being Jewish. So wrong race, wrong religion, you're in trouble. And then you are contradicting our customs and our beliefs. So as I was pondering this this week, I thought what it might be like for Christians in this country if we're simply believing and speaking and practicing the word of God, what it might cost us. So just think of this alone. The the Word of God teaches in Genesis 1 that God created human beings in his image, male and female. He created them. And that he called them to be joined in marriage between a woman and a man. And he speaks very clearly 
about how they're to conduct their lives and raise a family and live as sexual creatures in God's good creation, that could get us in some trouble, wouldn't it? couldn't it? Potentially, just what I said right there, that little synopsis of biblical teaching could cost you and cost me in the coming days. So I just want to ask us all saints, are we willing, are we all in? Are we willing to soak our minds and hearts in scripture and then do our best to live it out and speak it out no matter how unpopular or costly it might be? Even the idea of what the text is saying, that there is salvation and deliverance in Christ alone. His name alone saves will probably be a very unpopular message in the coming days. For you to simply say, you know what, I don't believe that all the various names and all the different gods lead to salvation. I just can't believe that. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. And the Bible... Bible says that Jesus alone, there's no other name given under heaven except the name of Jesus by which we're to be saved. That could be costly, friends. Now, it doesn't mean that we're mean-spirited toward other religions or other worldviews, but we are firm in who we are and what we believe. And it's as simple as that. Are we going to believe and practice the Bible and speak it out or not? A third thing here that happens in this text, the earthquake and the jailer's conversion, verses 25 through 34, and I just thought I'd make a couple comments. Steve Nicholson preached on this, a wonderful message when we were looking at worship a few months back, but let's read it because it is rich. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself! For we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. So this is a stunning account of an earthquake and this jailer's conversion. And I just love the way that opens, look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were moaning and complaining to God of their injustice. Is that what it says? Oh no, that's probably what I would be doing. I'm sorry. I'm projecting my own mind onto the text. They were praying and singing hymns to God. They had just been beaten severely. And Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 11. He lays it out 
I think it's 1 Corinthians 11 or 2 Corinthians 11. You know, he gets stoned many times in different cities and he gets lashed and beaten. And so this is one of those instances, many more to come. But their response to it is to pray and sing worship songs to God. Is that amazing? And we've seen time and time again that these examples aren't far out of reach. They're actually illustrations for us as Christians to realize God can do that in us as well. Remember, we've seen Paul was cursing Christ and hating Christ only a matter of years before this. And here he is suffering for Jesus and praying and singing hymns to God. And how do the prisoners respond? Look at it. They were listening to them. They had their attention for sure. We see that prayer in pressing moments like this is a recurring theme through the whole book of Acts. Chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 9, the text is saying, you'll suffer for Jesus and you're to pray and to worship and even have joy in the midst of this. Romans 5, 3 Paul's going to go on with an experience like this in his mind, and he's going to say, church, you can actually glory in your suffering. That's a tough word. Is it for anyone else? The idea of suffering and being physically in pain like this, and your response is to worship and praise. An earthquake hits, and you saw the story there. This man ends up being converted, and the text is showing Again, what we saw in chapter 14 and 15, that it's as simple as faith in Jesus. In the name of Jesus, calling out to him is where salvation begins. You're saved by calling out to him. And this jailer here, who probably had quite a story, probably similar to a sailor of the day. He was probably a pretty salty, experienced person running a jail. And he comes with fear and trembling and asks how he might be saved. And he ends up showing the fruit of repentance, doesn't he? Not only does he believe, but he actually takes these guys and washes them. And he's showing the fruit of repentance. One early church father says this, and I love it. This is John Chrysostom. He says, this man was washed and he washed. He washed them from their stripes, and he himself was washed from his sins. And it's another example of immediate baptism. He believes, and then he and his household are taken and baptized, and it transforms the whole family. It's beautiful. The section ends here. Let's read it, and then we'll finish here. This is Paul and Silas vindicated, verses 35 and following. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul, saying, the local leaders, the magistrates, sent word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Interesting response here. But Paul replied, they have beaten us in public, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and they've thrown us into prison. And now they're going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. No way. Not going to have it. Let them come and take us out themselves. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard 
that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home. When they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. So this is an unusual response, isn't it? Most of us would probably be freed from prison. It's interesting to see, too, that Paul and Silas didn't bolt. They stayed there. This man's life was preserved, the jailer. And, but they're coming and saying, hey, will you guys, ah, shoo, get out of here. And Paul says, absolutely not. You've mistreated us. Why do you think he did that? Because he's just an obstinate, stubborn person. Think about this. And then what goes on after this, he goes and meets with the believers in Lydia's homes. Friends, he is paving the way for the fair treatment of other Christians in Philippi. What he's doing is powerful. He's advocating for them. He's saying, you can't treat people like this. And so we want an official apology. And we want you to remember this story. So when these other Philippian Christians are following Jesus, you don't treat them the way that you've treated us. We're not going to have it. And so he brings justice, biblical, divine justice, and he demonstrates their innocence. He says, we're completely innocent, are we not? And the Roman officials have to come and apologize, which means these men are completely innocent. So what Paul is doing here declares his innocence and argues for a more just and fair treatment. And then they all gather in Lydia's home. Like the pub joke. You got the jailer there, you got Lydia. The text doesn't say, but I think Luke included the story that the young lady who was set free from that wicked spirit most likely became a Christian. Why don't we stand? Worship team can come up. Friends, the word of God does two things. It encourages us and emboldens us, but at the same time, it challenges us. And so a text like this puts its finger right on our heart. And I just, I want to ask you, what would you do if you encountered someone that you knew was demon oppressed? They either said it or you observed it. What would you do? Would you be ready to be an agent of liberation and freedom. I want to be more ready, for sure. So how do you get ready? Let me just ask you, if you were to encounter a demonized person, how do we get ready for that? How about reading your Bible every day? Might be a good idea, right? So there's a practical preparation. Get in the Word every day. Sit at Jesus' feet, read His Word, Grow in faith and confidence, your identity in Jesus, because he gives you all authority over all the evil spirits, doesn't he? Prayer, doing a house cleaning regularly with the Lord, let him clean things out of you through repentance and confession to other people. Friends, I think that's where we're going in the coming days. I think that you and I are going to get the opportunity to pray for people who are oppressed by evil spirits. Young people, you want to do that? You want to? Yeah, yeah, I think you've got quite a few 
up and coming and quite a few in the future that are going to come to Jesus who have opened themselves up to darkness, to evil spirits, and the church has the answer, right? Therapy can be super helpful, but therapy along with deliverance sometimes. Amen? So do we have some of our ad hoc ministry team up here? Some people? All right, good. You're up here. So I would encourage you to take some time to consider coming up and getting prayer. Maybe you need deliverance today. Maybe you want to confess something to someone. Maybe you need prayer for healing. This is the time that we carve out every week. We're just going to wait on the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We linger in your presence. We love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the love of God. And we thank you for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we walk in. We love you so much.